Well, good morning. It is good to be with you all. My name is Russ Allen, and I am the director of senior high ministry here at West Shore. And I just wanna echo what Trent said this morning and just welcome you all. Um, I know in my position, um, I've just felt such gratitude to so many of you in just your flexibility through this difficult time and just the love that you've shown me. So I just wanna, I wanna thank you for that. This past Tuesday, our ministry staff had the opportunity to kind of take a little bit of a retreat and we spent some time just praying for you all as a congregation and for us as a staff. And we were able to sort of reflect over the past however many months it's been and a lot of the struggles that we faced, but most importantly, the ways that we've seen God so richly bless us, um, not just in spite of the circumstances, but in many ways because of the circumstances. One of the other things that we did on Tuesday was we had a little bit of fun. And if you don't know, our ministry staff and, and many of our pastors, we're, we're pretty competitive. And so we did a little bit of a virtual reality tournament. How many of you have done virtual reality before? Anybody here done it? Okay. If you don't know what virtual reality is, you basically uh, put on these big goggles and you're sort of implanted into this virtual world. And uh, we competed against each other. So what we did is we were in groups of four and we competed against the other three people in our group. And then the winners of the first round would move on to a championship round. And so the first, uh, the first round, we played this game. Uh, basically, you had to shoot snowballs at little penguins and Eskimo people. It was, it was actually a lot of fun. And uh, so we did that. And for whatever reason, I was really good at shooting penguins and little Eskimo people. And I ended up winning that round. And so I advanced to the championship round. And I got to say, I was, feeling, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Um, you know, I'm thinking like, I'm like the, the senior high director here. Like I'm competing against some, some guys. They've probably never even played video games before. Like I, I feel like I've got this. And uh, <laughs> thank you. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm ready to go. And then I learn that they're gonna change the game on me. They're changing the game to a dancing game. Yeah, and when I say they, I'm referring to the people who lost the first round. They just wanted to watch us try to dance. And if you don't know me, I don't know how to dance. I'm not good at dancing. And so I'm, I'm starting to get a little nervous. Like, man, these other guys, these other guys are gonna beat me. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I thought that I did, but I don't know anymore. And so I, I, I you know, asked the guy who's putting these goggles on, because I'm kind of like, you know, how is this, how's this thing gonna work? I, I literally don't know how to dance. And he says, listen, it's really simple. There's gonna, follow along, okay? There's gonna be these glowing plates that are gonna be coming at you out of space. And all you have to do is just kind of break these plates one at a time with your fists, okay? And then there's gonna be these laser beams that come at you and you just have to like kind of duck out of the way. Okay, so I'm thinking, oh, that, that doesn't even sound like dancing. That's not that bad. I can do that. And so sure enough, uh, I get the goggles on and the game starts and it's exactly like the guy says. Okay, these things start coming at me and the beat drops 
And what he didn't tell me is that all of these things coming at you are all to the beat of the music. And so at the end, at the end, I'm, I'm kind of doing one thing at a time. And at the end, I saw a video of myself and it actually looks like I'm dancing a little bit. It does. I'm not, I don't have the video. I'm not going to play it to you. But if you did want to blackmail some of your pastors, you can come see me afterwards because I do have some good video. And uh, <laughs> the reason I'm telling this story is it's a, it's a really, really simple example, but I think it illustrates something for us today. And that is that simple acts of obedience can lead to a life of dancing, right? For all of us. That when the world looks at us, they're going to see us dancing. And this is a world that is dark and deaf and often doesn't even know that music is playing. And so when you take simple acts of obedience, it leads to a life that glorifies God. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, and as you're getting there, just wanna remind you of a little bit of the context of this book. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to Christians at Philippi, and he is seeking to encourage and instruct and warn the people at Philippi about how they can live a Christ-centered life. And last week, Trent, he walked us through this amazing passage at the beginning of Philippians 2, where Paul uses Jesus, he shows us a picture of Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. The ultimate example of humility, that Christ would put others' needs above himself even to the point of death on a cross, and then he was highly exalted by God the Father. And so that is where we pick up then in Philippians 2, and we are going to be looking at verses 12 through 30, although the main focus for us is gonna be verses 12 through 18, okay? But we are gonna read the whole thing. So Paul continues, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, 
and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So that is a long passage, and we have a lot to kind of unpack there. And so we first have to kind of arrive at the main idea. What is the main point that Paul is making in that entire passage for us? If we could sum it up, what would it be? And I would, would propose, like I mentioned earlier with the illustration, that this passage actually centers around the idea of obedience. See, there's this really important word in this passage that helps kind of indicate this for us. And that is the word, therefore. Right? Verse 12 begins with the word, therefore. And if you uh, are studying the Bible on your own, it's a great word to look out for, okay? Because it is a connecting word. Connects whatever they're currently talking about with whatever came before it. So therefore... And so what is it connecting for us in this text? What is the word therefore connecting for us? The answer is that it's connecting everything that Trent talked about last week. So we have to go back to verse eight, okay? So verse eight says, and being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He continues on a little bit. And therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation. So we see that word therefore is connecting the obedience of Christ to our obedience. And so the main point for us is that obedience leads to a life of testimony for God's glory. Obedience leads to a life of testimony for God's glory. So in a similar way, right, to how the obedience in the game, doing one task after another, leads to a fuller picture, okay? A fuller picture, a testimony, comprehensive testimony that glorifies God. So as we go, we are going to see how Paul answers three questions here about the idea of obedience. Now I wanna make clear, this isn't a comprehensive biblical study of obedience, right? We are understanding what Paul says about obedience in Philippians chapter two. And so what are the three questions that he answers? The first one is why should we be obedient? Why should we be obedient? The second one is how can we be obedient? What does obedience actually look like for us? 
And lastly, what are the effects of our obedience? So why should we be obedient? How can we be obedient? And what are the effects of our obedience? So that's where we're going to go this morning. So we'll start with the first question. Why should we be obedient? Why should we be obedient? The fir- uh, this, so this point is, is really, it's a really simple one and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I will say that it is a very profound one. We should be obedient because Jesus was obedient, right? It's that connecting word, therefore. We should be obedient because Jesus was obedient. And the idea that Paul is conveying is that if we share in his suffering, we will also share in his exaltation. And this is really powerful because we have a guarantee that what we do in our life, the tasks that we do, it's not a waste of time. Does anyone know what motivates people? Like what is the general thing that, that motivates humans? There's, there's a lot of uh, ideas out there, but uh, I think scholars pretty unanimous in saying that the real motivating factor in the general sense is results. Results motivate people. It's true for all humans, whether you believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible, results are what motivate people. This is one of the first things that they'll teach you if, if you're a teacher or uh, if you're a parent, right, and you have kids, is that if one kid sees the other kid do something, they will be more or less likely to do the same thing depending on what the results are for the first kid, right? So results, results motivate people. So I just wanna tell you that God has given us a real historical testimony to his faithfulness in the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. He is the first fruits. We see the results of Jesus' obedience, and that motivates us to obedience ourselves. You follow in a reflection of his obedience, even to the point of death, then you will follow with a reflection of his glory. But that leaves us with a a bit of a daunting task, and that leads into the second question for us, is how can we too exhibit this humble obedience of Jesus? Because if you're like me, you realize pretty quickly that you're not Jesus, right? That you're not perfect. And so what does this actually look like for us? How can we be obedient. And there's three ways that Paul lays out for us here that we can be obedient in the same way that that Jesus was obedient. And the first one, this one is really important for us because it is sort of a broad category for obedience that Paul lays out. We have to understand it before we talk about the more specific ways that we can be obedient. And we find this first way in verse 12 that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the first way that we can be obedient. And it helps to frame 
the other ways that we can be obedient here, according to Paul. And I love, I love the way that this is worded for us. Because Paul also understands that we are not perfect, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul says. So we are not perfect and we cannot obey perfectly as Christ did. See, if we had to work for our salvation, then we could never attain it. But if you notice, that's not what Paul says, right? He chooses his words very carefully here. Paul does not tell us to work for our salvation. He tells us to work out our salvation. In other words, your salvation has already been given to you in Christ because of Christ's obedience. And now you are just working it out or playing it out in your own life. Simple analogy for this, not perfect, certainly, but is, uh, it's like a, a script for a movie. The script is written, the actors are not making up the ending as they go. Salvation is written for you if you are a Christian and now you are just living it out. You're playing it out in your life. And as Paul says, this very fact should fill us with fear and trembling. And I'm not talking about being frightened or terrified of something. What I'm talking about is a sense of being in speechless awe of God's greatness and his grace to us. Fear and trembling. And he continues on, there's another reason that we should have fear and that we should tremble. And it's in verse 13, and this is, this is really profound, and I don't want us to miss this. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is so important for us to understand when we talk about obedience. See, your obedience as a Christian is not a request, it is a response. And it is God himself who is working obedience into you. So therefore you have nothing to brag about and secondly, it's such a comfort because when you have had enough and you feel as if you have no more of yourself to give, when you've done what, what Trent talked about last week and you've humbled yourself and you've put others before yourself again and again and again and again and you've chosen obedience in that way, when you would rather follow your desires than God's, you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to do it on your own. It's not your own strength. God will help to give you both the desire and the action that will please him. The desire and the action, the will and the work. It's all God doing it in you. And that is that is profound for us and we have, to, we have to 
understand that, we have to try to comprehend that before we can talk about any other type of obedience for ourselves. So, first way that we obey is working out our salvation with fear and trembling. The second way that we can be obedient is by doing all things without grumbling or disputing. We see that in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is a really practical way for us to examine our obedience. See, I think too many of us, without even realizing it, we have a request type of obedience and not a response type of obedience. But do you know what the consequences are of having a request type of obedience? It's grumbling or disputing. See, a request type of obedience is devoid of joy. It's devoid of joy. It's, it's really you saying, I'm, I'm gonna do this thing because I, I want something or I have some sort of expectation. If you guys have been going to church for a while, or, or maybe if you haven't, you, maybe you've heard of the story of the prodigal son. Okay, he's a son who squandered all of his wealth, took all of his father's wealth, squandered it, and came back, eventually repented, and his father threw a big celebration for him. Now, if you remember, there's also an older son in that story. Do you remember what the older son says when the younger son comes back? He goes to the father, and he's grumbling, and he says, Father, I've been working for you for all of this time, and you never killed the fattened calf for me. And we know what happened to the older son at the end of the story is that he's left out in the darkness and he's shut out from the party. And I think sometimes that that, that is the very nature of our obedience. So we start asking God questions when things don't go our way. Like, God, I, I did this for you, so why did you make this happen? Or I've been going to Bible study consistently every week, so why is my friend sick? Or, or why did this happen? That's not fair. And so in our obedience, we start to second guess whether our obedience is even worth it. Now I wanna be clear, I, I'm not saying that we can't ask hard questions to God. And I'm also not saying that we can't lament or be saddened by things that happen to us or by things that seem unfair in our lives. But I am saying that our disposition cannot be characterized by a bitter, unsettled, or unpleasant spirit. Now, some of you also who've been going to church, you may um, think about Israel in the Old Testament, right? Israel also grumbled and complained in the wilderness even after God had set them free from slavery in Egypt. It's the same exact thing. And I would tell you that that is exactly the point that Paul is trying to make here. In fact, he uses language from the Old Testament to make this point. The, the words grumbling and disputing and crooked and twisted generation are actually used in Deuteronomy 32 verse five. And Paul's point is that we are not like them. We are not like the old Israel. We're different. 
We obey out of passion and joy. And when we do that, we shine as lights, he says. And so our obedience, when it comes as a response to the gospel and through the Holy Spirit is full of joy and life and passion. Now the third way that we can be obedient is by holding fast to the word of life. See that in verse 16, and that is the gospel. The word of life is the gospel, the good news. See, this world is calling you away from right obedience to our heavenly father. It dangles lies in front of your face and perhaps even more misleading, it dangles half-truths in front of your face. We do live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And those words just refer to anyone who is not living in obedience to God. See, there will be temptations for things that promise a better life for you than the one that you have with Christ. But isn't it true that the things that this world promises will give life actually bring death? See, the world says, take for yourself your own time, your own money, your own love, your own morality. That's the way to a happy life. The gospel says, give of yourself. Surrender your own time, surrender your own money, surrender your own love, surrender your own morality. The world says you have to live before you die. The gospel says you have to die before you live. So although our obedience may look like it leads to death, when we hold fast to the gospel and its truth and the hope that we have in it, we know that our obedience is really revealing the life that we have in Christ. So work out your salvation. Do all things without grumbling or disputing and hold fast to the word of life. And all three of these ways of obedience, they reflect an overall purity of mind and action, which is one of our five marks of a Christ-centered life. So finally, we get to the last question. We know why we should be obedient. We know how we can be obedient, according to Paul. Now we're gonna ask, what are the effects of our obedience? There's two effects of our obedience, according to Paul in Philippians 2. The first one we see in verse 15 now. He says, excuse me, uh, the first one we see in Philippians 2 is, uh, we will be radiant gospel witnesses to non-Christians. We will be radiant gospel witnesses to non-Christians. It's like dancing in a world where no one else hears the music. Paul uses a, a different phrase. He says it's shining like lights in the world. Joyful, passionate obedience as a response to the gospel will stand out in a world of fleeting pleasure, selfish ambition, and man-made philosophy. See, I went to college, a very small, secular school. And I could probably count the number of Christians there on one hand. One of the words that I would use to describe sort of the spiritual atmosphere there was, was darkness. 
It's a very, it's a very dark place. I very much felt like a missionary there. And thankfully, um, the Lord had instilled a, a fire in me before I went there to, to live life for him, to be obedient to him. And I did the best that I could, but it was a very dark place. To, to illustrate that, I'll give, I'll give an example. I took a ethics class at this school and we were talking about humanity and personal autonomy. And I'll never forget that the question was posed to the class, if your friend was about to commit suicide and you were there, what would you do? And I'll never forget, a girl raised her hand, she stood up, she said, I would do nothing. I would do nothing. She said, because it's her, it's her body, it's her life, she can do what she wants with her body. And I never forgot that. Just illustrates the darkness that's out there. And that's not just at that college, friends, that's, that's in our world, that's around us, it's there. And so, like I said, I tried to be obedient the best that I could to the Lord. I, I certainly was not perfect. I made it my mission to try to make an impact there and it was, it was really hard. I used to joke around with friends, whenever I would drive into town, the Christian radio station would fizzle out <laughs> as soon as I would get into town there. And, 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 and I'm like, God, why, why do you have me here? Am I trying to, am I supposed to be making some difference here? And, and I tried for four years, for four years, and I didn't see a whole lot of results. I had some good conversations with people. And there was this one girl who I interned with uh, over a summer. And we spent a lot of time together in the library working on computers. And we got to talking. She was agnostic, which meant that she didn't, wasn't really sure if God existed. Um, she was kind of open to the idea, but was not really convinced. And so she was asking me a lot of questions about Christianity. And I did the best that I could to answer those questions for her. And she would start to text me some different questions and a lot of them about, you know, I don't understand how Jesus could actually die on the cross for us. And so we, we continued to, to have conversation and didn't really seem to go anywhere. And I remember on a Friday night, I used to go home on the weekends a lot because I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't partake in a lot of the partying and things that, that went on there. And so I would go home often on Friday nights, but for whatever, for whatever reason, I was there on a Friday night and I heard a knock on my dorm room. And so I opened it and I was, I was alone and it was this girl and she was, she was weeping. And so I, I invited her in and I was asking her, what's, you know, what's wrong, are, are you okay? And she told me that she was thinking about killing herself that night. And so, you know, I, I asked her, I said, well, you know, are you okay? Do, you know, is there somewhere else you need to go? Why did you, why did you come here? Because you know, we worked together, we were friends, but we weren't great friends. We didn't really hang out elsewhere. And she said, I, I came here because I thought that you could help me because you seem different than other people. There's, there's, there seems to be a, a meaning to why you do things. And so I, I prayed with her, read the Bible to her for a while. Finally, I asked her, I said, would, would you like to ask Jesus to be your savior? And she said, no. And she said, it's because I, I don't wanna make an emotional decision right now. She was pretty shaken up and I was actually glad for that. I was glad that she didn't make an emotional decision. 
So that night came and went. Graduation day rolls around, four years later. And I graduate, and I'm walking to my car. And as I walk to my car, I hear someone yell out my name behind me. And I turn around and it's this girl. She comes up and she, she says her goodbyes and she gives me a letter. And I took that letter, I drove home after being in college, this, this really difficult place for four years and wondering whether I even made a difference. And so I got home and I, and I read the letter and I keep a picture of it in my phone that I'll read to you. So this is what it says. It says, Dear Russ, thank you for everything. Your words that night really spoke to me in the verses you read. I really did think long and hard about what you said, what I wanted and needed in my life. On Thursday, I opened my heart to God and asked him to be my savior. Already I felt a huge difference. I feel like this is real. Thank you so much. I can never thank you enough. So I tell you that story, not to show you, yeah, <laughs> give a round of applause to that. Amen, that's great. And, and to that I would say, I tell you that not to show you how great I am. I'm not great. I just had opportunities and I tried my best to walk in obedience. But I do tell you that story to illustrate that even a very dim light can shine brightly in a very dark place. Friends, as you work out your salvation through obedience, you are bringing others to salvation in Christ. We are witnesses to a watching world that doesn't even hear the music sometimes. So the effects of our obedience, the first one, we will be radiant gospel witnesses to non-Christians. And now the second, we see in verses 16 through the end, so we will bring joy and encouragement to other Christians see that here and we see it throughout Paul's letters that perhaps there is nothing more energizing and life-giving than hearing about and witnessing the obedience of other faithful believers. When I was in college, I kind of had a theme verse. It was 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. It's a good reminder that even though you might be lonely, you are not alone. You are not alone. There are others working towards obedience, humble obedience. Even in this passage, Paul mentions the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus as fellow workers and sol he calls them soldiers. There's a reason he calls them soldiers, right? Soldiers are obedient to their commanding officer. And these men, they were willing to obey the Lord's call even to death, he says. They were ill, Epaphroditus was ill even to the point of death. And I don't think it's a mistake that he just talked about Jesus being obedient to the point of death. They were obedient just like Jesus, and so should we. Another quick story as we wrap up. 
When I was in college, I had the privilege of leading a group of high school guys uh, for four years. I was a freshman in college and they were freshmen in high school. It's one of the reasons um, that I'm doing what I do right now. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, I was a mentor to these guys and, and discipled them the best that I could. And, and after that, you know, four years came and went and these, these guys have grown up and they've become young men of the faith. And 10 years later, this September, actually, I got married and I had the absolute privilege of having almost all of these young men read scripture at my wedding. It's one of the coolest things that I've, that I've been able to experience. And it brought me such joy and encouraged me in the faith. And I could see just a glimpse of what Paul is talking about when he says that he's willing to be poured out as a drink offering for, for your sake, for your obedience, if it's going to encourage someone else's obedience. I felt the same way about those guys. And it was such a joy to see the fruit of that. So to you all, I would say, what a gift that we have, that we can walk alongside one another in humble obedience as members of this body of West Shore Free Church, that we can encourage each other as we gather together on, on Sundays or gather together with our families to watch on, uh, on TV or on our computers or that we can come to Bible study during the week and then that we can go out and be lights in the world. I hope that you see that vision of what we can be because I see it and, and we're doing it. We're doing it. Obedience leads to a life of testimony for God's glory. So I'll, I'll just leave you with the words of Jesus. So hear these words of Jesus just spoken directly to you right now. It comes from Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth and its encouragement. Father, I pray right now as we meditate on it, as we let it sink in, Father, that you would let it bring encouragement where we need encouraged, God, and conviction, Father, where we need to be convicted. Father, I pray that we would examine our own obedience right now. Father, what areas can we be more, be more obedient to you, even if it's not for our own best interest, God, but knowing, but knowing that it is as part of a testimony to your glory, Father, that you may receive glory from us in all that we do, God. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing in us, that you're working obedience in us, Father. It's not our own strength. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.